You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this episode is with Japanese Breakfast, the brainchild of Michelle Zahner. With two albums under her belt, Michelle has proven that Japanese Breakfast is a project like no other. Her recent album, Soft Sounds from Another Planet, took everything we love from her first album and amplified her sound into new heights. She's already toured extensively for Soft Sounds, and I was lucky enough to catch up with her right before she trekked off to Europe and Asia. In this talk, we go into music, family, and why spending time in Asia is something that's going to mean so much to her. This is the 405 Exchange with Japanese Breakfast. Enjoy. So it's fantastic to have you back, like music world wise, but it kind of feels silly saying that because you never really went away. (laughs) (laughs) I know, feels like that. (laughs) Yeah, like what was the gap between albums? Was it even like six months? It must have been less than that. Um, I, well, I think that it's, it's tough to say because, you know, when things come out, they've, they're likely have been done for a long time. Um, I think that we were, my real, like, focused role um was done at the end of october 2016 for this album um and and then you know it's kind of like not quite a backseat but but i'm i'm not like in a room making stuff anymore i'm kind of like approving mixes and masters and um sort of like waiting for things to come together in, in a different way um and then psychopomp i feel like was probably done Oh God, I don't even know. Um, Psychopunk took a lot longer of a time and w- like was passed through many hands, and um, you know there wasn't a label like waiting for it, so it felt like there. You know, I had finished Psychopunk a while ago, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny when um, people are surprised that records come rather quickly because I think that if you know it's your work and you can uh, commit the time and have the funds to to actually sit down and do it, that's you know, your job. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I imagine for, like, you musicians specifically, it's like, you, that's kind of what you always want to happen, really. Like, an album coming out almost as soon as you're done with it. Yeah, I mean, it didn't, it was like, I finished it in October, and I think that the Masters were done in February, and then it came out in July. So it's it's still not, it's not like an immediate thing. It's not like I just, like, popped it up on Bandcamp, and it was, like, ready for the world. No, that was, like, um, a whole process. Wow. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like my, I think it's most musicians' dreams to just like not have a side job, and it was the first record I was able to make without working, you know, like three other jobs. When I made Psychopomp, I was working a nine-to-five job, and I would get off at 7 p.m., and then I would drive in rush hour traffic to, to Crown Heights, and I'd, I would work on mixing um, till like midnight and then go home, so to have like a month full of just studio time where I just clocked in every day to, to work on the record was, uh, you know, a dream come true. It was, it's where I feel like the most in my element and, and, uh, happiest. I think. That's fantastic. You know, Psychopomp is an album that didn't only surprise us listeners, but it also surprised you as well. I remember when the album came out reading like the features and the interviews you did and how surprised you were that you even had this within you to like get out. And you've been really candid about like how surprised you were towards that whole album experience and I wonder like 
Where does that leave you at the end of touring that album? Like, where did you find yourself creatively when it came to making soft sounds? Um, I think I was both, like, scared and, like, newly confident. You know, I think that to follow your first, like, kind of successful record is really terrifying because you you really don't want to lose what you built. And, um, you know, it was the first time, you know, I, before Psychopomp came out, I had been a mus- touring musician for um, five years. And, you know, none of my bands really, like, stuck uh, or were, got to the level where I was able to pursue it full time as a career. And, you know, that was always, like, a marker of success is just, like, when I don't have to waitress and then get fired when I leave every time. Um then I'm successful. So it was amazing to be in a position where I didn't have to work a second job and I could just tour all the time and and make enough money to kind of meagerly support myself and um, had a label with an actual, you know, recording advance, which was exciting. But yeah, I was afraid of losing that. And there's this fear that you have to create like the same exact thing that you made. And I was a little bit nervous about working with a different producer and um, how people were going to respond to it, and if the, you know, if it was just kind of a fluke. Um, but then, I also feel like I had this newfound confidence too of just like I made this thing that that felt very authentic to my own voice and um, was very real and honest. And if I just do that again, then uh, then it should be it should be great. So I, I think I also went in feeling like I was able to, I don't know, just handle the recording process like more confidently because by then you know I it's my sophomore record but I had released two records before in another band so uh, it's essentially my fourth record that I've you know seen through from start to finish and and I definitely feel a lot more confident um creating records and, and feeling like you know it's it's what I'm meant to be doing you know going to what you touched on there specifically the aspect of how you recognize that it was writing about your experiences with your on Psychopomp that really made people react to that. Do you feel like when it came to soft sounds, you almost had to like not relearn, but maybe like find yourself feeling comfortable doing that again, like feeling comfortable digging deep again to do that? Yeah, I think it was a different kind of digging. I think that you know when I wrote Psychopomp, it wasn't really like I was digging for anything. I my mom had passed away two months before I started writing and. I just had a lot of like raw, very real, vulnerable emotion that I just, I had no real um, aspirations to, to, you know, use as like a career builder. I just, you know, needed some kind of project to help compartmentalize like what I was feeling. Um, and, you know, releasing it was kind of just an afterthought. Um, so with this record, it was like, um, I just tried to, to set up the same kind of situation where I just tried to not think about other people or any kind of audience and just make what I sonically enjoyed and what felt like I were things that I needed to say. I think that the emotions were really different on soft sounds because, you know, I kind of was processing grief and loss in a different way. And I had been speaking to a lot of different people about their own experiences with those types of things. And, I think I just kind of started to view my emotions a little bit more like removed and objectively in a way of just like how to place it within a world where other people also feel these things all the time um, and also have had these similar experiences. So 
I think that it's a mature record in the sense that it's kind of less about me and just more about like my place in the world and, and um, the emotions as like, you know, just general things that exist, not necessarily mine. I love that you touched on that. Like, I love that it felt that way because listening to record, that was very much the reaction I got from it in terms of like, you know, it's interesting with me. Like, I usually find myself listening to Sonic's a lot more at first than I, than um, lyrics, and I feel like there's only like a good amount of musicians where I feel like I find myself listening to the lyrics are just as immediate as the sounds are, and with soft sounds it was mm. like that. And I felt like you know what it was. I felt like you hit a very happy medium within the album where you're talking about things that I feel people can universally relate to, especially people in like uh, I don't want to say a specific age group, but I think it, like people in a transitional period in times of their lives. But I do feel like mm. the themes weren't dictating the sounds of the songs. Like, I felt like it was important to you that regardless of what you were writing about, the soundscape could be as eclectic and as open as possible. Do you feel it was like that when you were writing? Yeah, definitely. I think that that was something that I did on Psychopomp, too, where it's just, like, my my sort of, um, like, cohesive thread is just the fact that there are songs that I arranged and produced and wrote you know so I just felt like that was enough to make the songs feel like a cohesive collection and um whatever kind of voice uh, a, a composition needed to take on I kind of just um intuitively tried to follow it you know so I didn't try to um you know and I, I think it's a little bit worrisome but I think that you know songs like boyish and till death have this sort of like classic almost like 50s, 60s pop group, like Phil Spector, big band kind of feel. And then there are songs like, you know, Machinists that have auto-tune or Roadhead that's a little trip-hoppy. And I just think that those were, those were the genres or those were the, those were the arrangements that those particular songs needed or just like felt natural to them. And I just tried to, yeah, let whatever kind of authentic sound navigate it without thinking too much about how they were going to fit together and then I feel like the way that they fit together kind of um is massaged with like you know different transitions and, and sequencing so I tried to just let songs live in their own world and then um the way that they sound together is is uh, a little bit more of an afterthought I think that's really good to hear you know I love how the album opens with um Driving Woman and I felt like that was a very like, I felt like, to me personally, like, from hearing that song to hearing the record, it was very it was very obvious that that song needed to be the first track. Was it like that for you, like, when it came to that song? Yeah, I think that um, I really like the idea of, of starting with a longer song because I think that Psychopomp's, like, major critique or was that it was a really short record. You know, it was 26 six minutes i think and um can i say i, not, not, I wanted to oh sorry not to stumble sorry? in your oh sorry not to stumble in your train of thought i just want to say that personally for me as someone who enjoyed that album so much and of course uh soft sounds that that had to have been the stupidest critique i ever heard when it came to psychopop <laughs> it felt yeah. like you said like you know the experience of this album it felt like you said everything you needed to say yeah, I, I felt that way. Um, I, I mean, I don't really care what people have to say about it, especially um, that. But I, I like that it's a shorter record, and I think that it it, it just felt right, um, you know. And, and I, I definitely cut some songs from it, and so it wasn't that I was out of material. It was just, you know, that was 
what it needed to be, I think. And yeah. it's a very succinct record. Yeah. But for this one, I think I just wanted to show that I, you know, my kind of breadth of ability. Like I, I, I've written, you know, six and a half minute songs before and, and I wanted, um, yeah, just that kind of feeling of this, like sort of this like longer song to kind of ground you that, and, and also let you know that like, this is a different album. I think it does that really well. It kind of reminded me of like the first time I heard, um, uh, Bohemian, uh, like you from, uh, Dandy Warhols. Cause that album opens with oh, the track Godless. Cool. Yeah, I felt like you achieved that I, kind of song. That's funny. Yeah, I, I really like that record, honestly, because um, I'm from Oregon originally, so uh, those guys are like kind of like Portland heroes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like I like that those bands a lot. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. And you achieved that. Like, like I love that to hear that that was kind of the train of thought because I feel like even though that's a song that stands so much on its own, it does kind of ebb you into the album in a weird way. Like, kind of almost like going through a tunnel like it has that quality to it yeah that's very cool um can you talk to me about the video for roadhead because that video is really fucking awesome and it blew my mind that the quality of the video like the tonality of what's going on was not compromised at all by like the little bits of humor like it felt like you hit the right chord (laughs) of dramatic and humorous within that video thank you (laughs) yeah i don't really uh i feel like some my favorite videos um, aren't too self-serious, so I, I always tried to incorporate like at least a, a small amount of like playfulness or humor in, in them. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorite videos that, that we've done, and um, it was really fun making it. It was kind of like uh, our take on like Twin Peaks meets Stranger Things meets um, Donnie Darko. So it was um, yeah, I kind of just like wanted to play with them. Um, depth of field and and kind of contrasting like a really giant demon <laughs> with like my my tiny body <laughs> <laughs> and that juxtaposition works man like you know now like hearing you say that just now like all i can like see the re- like obviously the references are quite overt but like hearing you say it specifically now like i'm thinking about the video in my head and it's like oh i do see that the stranger things and the donnie darko and like yeah twin peaks yeah. that's insane that's how yeah yeah. yeah, we wanted to kind of like make like a yeah. I guess that's kind of like slightly horror and um, yeah, it's kind of like taking the sort of like naturey aspects of the Pacific Northwest and making them like super eerie. Yeah, you know, you also directed uh, JSOM's video for the bus song. How did that come about? And tell me what that experience was like, because that must have been really cool. Yeah, it was really fun. It was my first video that I've done for another artist, so I wanted to like do a really good job and. Um, Melina, who plays in JSOM, is like one of my really good friends, and we met on the Mitski tour about a year and a half ago. Um, and I just, she's just one of the most talented people I've ever met, and we've just stayed friends over the last year. And um, yeah, so she, I guess like they, she wanted to, her team wanted to do another video, and I think that she was like, I don't want to do another one unless it's really special. And so they reached out to me because they knew that we were friends and. Um, yeah, I wrote a treatment for it. I wanted to just kind of bring out, um, it's like such a dynamic song and Melina writes all of the part, like arranges all the instruments and plays all of the instruments. And I just really wanted to like focus on how much that song plays with that, you know, like there's just every, it feels like every instrument has its like moment. And I think that she's just such a phenomenal producer and mixer and arranger and writer that I just wanted to kind of accept those moments by like kind of bringing in 
different members of the band to kind of showcase when there's like a bass solo or when there's like a lead piano line or whatever. Um, and yeah, I just think of her music as like super colorful and, uh, wanted to make just like this really colorful, happy video for it. Yeah. So it was, it was so much fun and it was great. It was like all her friends in the Bay area and, um, they were like the best, you know, large cast to work with on my, you know, first time directing someone that wasn't myself and, um, you know, also a big group of people and also foreign artists, you know, so it was it was cool because it was very much like not a Japanese breakfast video, but I think that I, I still tried to like work with the same kind of things that excite me about making videos in general. Yeah. And I'm curious, particularly because I love everything you said just there. And I really found myself wondering, like, I mean, obviously when it comes to Japanese breakfast, you know, your own project and projects you've been in uh, previously, you do find yourself kind of uh, thinking about, you know, the voice and the tone and like, I hate the word brand, not the brand, but pretty much the idea of that, or at least the concept. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what was it like kind of taking on someone else's like tone? Like, did you find yourself, was there a lot of thinking in that regard? Or did you find yourself almost kind of like being able to use what you associate with the Japanese breakfast tone and how you're able to recognize what works for you and kind of realizing what works for JSOM and her tone? Like, does this kind of feel seamless within that line of thinking? I think I just tried to focus on the song, you know, I just tried to let like the song, you know, like just live in the song and, and see what came to mind. And I think that Jason and I make really different music. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of tried to express how the song made me feel in the same way that I try to express how the Japanese breakfast songs make me feel. And, um, yeah, I think the bus song in particular is like a really upbeat, colorful song um, and most Japanese breakfast songs are a little maybe like moodier and um, sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that there's like, um, yeah, I think that that kind of vibe is, is what makes it like really different. But I also like I, I was a little bit worried because um, Melina is quite younger than me. And I think I, I've always kind of felt like a, felt like an older sister kind of relationship yeah. to her. So in the same breath, I, I was, I just didn't want to make it too cute. Like, because I don't, I don't want people to feel like her music is juvenile because I think her music is very complex in a different way. No, it really um, is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I think that, um, yeah, her lyrical themes are so different from mine, but her music is so complex in a different way. I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm expressing No, no, you told I was worried. I was worried that I was going to come across as too cute because I don't work with like bright colors very often or yeah. ensemble cats. But I thought about just like what I don't know. I, I think I use the same kind of tricks that I use for myself um, when it comes to being a musician and, and being in your own and your own videos. Like we're not actors, and a lot of times, like at least I feel really uncomfortable being on camera. And so what I found really helps me when I write treatments is to create an action for myself that makes me feel more comfortable on camera because I'm not just like trying to figure out how to stand like a normal person you know so yeah I kind of started incorporating that more and more and like the roadhead video is a perfect example of just like what can I physically be doing to distract myself from being on camera and it's like I'm gonna I want to drag the demon I want to be constantly smoking I want to be constantly eating or constantly bobbing my head and I also want this giant creature 
to exist. So the pressure is a little off of me being in close up and we can focus more on this sort of other character that's like always going to look really good on camera because we've made it look that way. And so I think that with when I wrote the treatment for Melina, it was kind of like, how do I um, capture this sort of like infectious charm that she has? And she's so funny. Um, without making her feel like the pressure of just being alone on camera. So I was like, I really want her just surrounded by her friends and in these beautiful locations in the Bay Area. And um, yeah, just like a huge ensemble cast. So it's not just like close up of Melina performing all the time. And, and I want her to have a guitar because, you know, she, you know, plays all the instruments on her record. She should be seen, you know, as a, you know, a musician, you know, so that's, that's really what I wanted to kind of capture. Yeah. And I think what really like achieve what, I mean, with everything you said just now and a big element that also achieved that. And I noticed this also on uh, the uh, roadhead video was like the camera movement, like the way you have the camera moving mm -hmm. around the subject, like that's a big element to it. Like, so hats off to you. That's wicked. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, I want to talk a lot more about your music for sure, but there is something else I wanted to bring up because um, naturally, I'm a pretty big uh, Slow Die fan, and you got to tour with them, which is fucking amazing. And I remember yeah. listening to the Talk House episode you did with Rachel before you went on tour with them. What no, was... I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like, I'm curious, because, like, I listened to that, and that was so lovely. Like, it was really cool. Like, you could tell that you were a fan, but you could also tell, like, you know, like, you wanted to, like, hear what she had to say. Like, you were very hungry for that. I'm curious, what was that tour like? Not just the shows, but was it like just being around them as people? That was amazing. I think that was probably my favorite tour that I've ever been on because I kind of went in just being like, you know, these are... Well, first of all, they were the biggest shows we'd ever played, you know, and, and, and I remember very vividly going... We played in St. Paul, and I think... I forget the name of the theater... But it's this gorgeous theater, and, and we walked in and through the back, and all of a sudden there's, like, you know, five men, like, carrying all of our gear in, and we walk onto this, like, stage, Whoa. and there's, like, these beautiful balconies, and, um, yeah, just, like, being, like, holy shit, uh, really, <laughs> really scared. Because I think it's not only just, like, you're playing to a lot of people, but you're playing to a lot of, like, really critical fans. Like, I think that Slow Dive, you know, is such a – so mm, – like held in such regard for their tone and yeah. they're just they're just pure musicianship you know and and they're less a band about like their identity and more about their just being just critically good a no, critically yeah. good band yeah and to be a young band and, and and have to play you know open for them it's just it's really scary because i, I was really afraid that their fans um would be like who are these fucking kids you know um but we had such a great time. I, you know, I had kind of like these expectations that like, oh, they, they won't they won't talk to us. And, you know, they they have like big shows to play. They're, they'll be busy. And and they were just the total opposite. I mean, the, the first day, I think they went like half an hour over their sound check, And every single member of Slow Dive apologized to every single member of Japanese Breakfast. Saying wow. like, oh, we're really sorry. We're just still figuring out like all these like, you know, little ends, like we promise you'll get, you know, a full soundtrack tomorrow. And we're just like, you don't have to apologize. It's your show. <laughs> um, and, and I think that it was just so great to see that like a band that's, you know, like played music for so many years, you know, because they were so young when they started too. And um, to make such, 
you know, just phenomenal music, uh, and to be so critically acclaimed, and to be so humble and so generous and open to us, it, it was really incredible, and, and it'll stick with me forever. I, I, I had such a wonderful time um, on that tour, and, and it taught me so much about how I wanted, you know, this was, this was recently our, our first headlining show, and I definitely felt like I carried so much of, of their generosity with us of, and their graciousness of just how I wanted to treat an opening band because that kind of thing sticks with you forever. And it, and it was, it was such, a, such a great experience. I learned so much from them, watching them every night. And I love their band. I love their music. And I, I really love them as people. I, I can't even put into words appropriately how, how much I just really adore the, them all. The, the whole band is, is great. And their crew is wonderful, too. Oh, it's, it's really amazing hearing you say that. Like, these are definitely the types of things, like, you hope people will say about bands that you love, and it's just amazing coming from I you. Cu- <laughs> I couldn't say a bad word about any single member of, of the band or the crew. Uh, everyone <laughs> was, was so kind to us. My whole band feels that way. It was it was such a such a great tour to go on. You know, you said something really interesting at the start of that, and it's really something that I find is very pic- particularly about their music, and I found it to be a quality within Soft Sounds, if you can believe it. I think what's a big thing with Slow Dive. No, for real, honestly, I'm not just saying that. I think what's a big thing with Slow Dive, because you were saying that, you know, they have very um, fans that pay attention. I think what's very um, attuned to that is that um, if you're going to a Slow Dive show, more likely than not, you've listened to their records in and out. Like, I feel like those are the majority of the Mm -hmm. people that would go to their shows. And I felt like, Mm -hmm. because I have a good amount of friends who are into Japanese Breakfast, who are at the Music Hall Williamsburg show just uh, last week, and... Those friends of mine who are there, I know they listen to soft sounds in and out. So I imagine that must be a quality that your audience has. Like, they listen to your music in and out. Like, do you feel like that's something you found yourself feeling conscious of when you're writing songs? Or does that not come Uh, into play at all? Yeah, I think that there are things that I put into a record that are things that I, that like tickle me in the same way that I, I really appreciate, um, like being a fan of other records, you know, just like extra kinds of care that you put in. Um, and I think I do it in, in every art I try to make of just like, you know, like hiding certain Easter eggs or like repeating lyrics or referencing, um, other songs from other albums or, um, you know, working on transitions or in, in uh, in between songs or incorporating instrumentals or, um, like samples that are somewhat out of, out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, I like I like to do those things and and I value them on records. And in the same way of just like, you know, taking a lot of care with my lyrics and and also just the artwork and and you know, inserts and booklets and and added extra special things. Like those were the things that I really loved about um music growing up was just, you know, like sitting down with a record, following the lyric booklet and, you know, reading uh an artist's introduction to the work or, or just like extra little things that that make you feel like it's a person that's that's make, made something for you or is speaking to you and it's you know it's not for just you obviously but it, there are things that feel really quite intimate that make you feel that way yeah you know i feel that on psychopomp uh, it felt like you were opening the door ajar for light to seep in and i felt that with soft sounds it was like that light encapsulating the room even though, like, of course, you're talking about quite, you know, serious things that have happened in your life and, you know, uh, thoughts where you're kind of uh, feeling quite existential, I feel like the way you delved into creativity reminded me of light. I feel a lot of that must be from, 
experiences that you've had touring for Psycho. And I was wondering, what was it about that time touring for Psycho Palm that felt so significant? Because I know, I've heard you talk before in the past about touring for Psycho Palm was so different in contrast to other tours that you've done. Well, I mean, the first thing was that people were, there were people there. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, a big one. Yeah, I mean, we got really lucky. We went on tour with Mitski and Porches and Slow Dive and Tegan and Sarah and Alex Cheek. And all of them were largely shows that were sold out and real venues. We were getting paid, you know, for the first time. And uh, it was very, very different from the DIY DIY touring, you know, playing house shows and and really struggling. And so that was totally different. And, And I think it was like a different kind of fan, too, because... You know, we got really lucky. Our first tour was with Mitski, and Mitski has just, I think, the very best fans. They just adore her as, like, a a person, and they feel like they really know her, and they're so diverse, and a lot of them are young, uh, very young, and young women, and and very, like, a diverse group of women, Um, and that's so different from the audience that I played to when I was younger in Little Big League that was largely white young men. And, you know, not that white young men can't relate to my music, but it's difficult when those are the only people it feels like that are coming to your shows. And, and there's a certain connection, I think, that is, it's just not the same. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think that people can have different things. But I, I think that somehow this project became very much about who I was and people feeling like they knew me. And I think that Mitski has that with her fans as well. Is that people really feel like they know her. And whether or not they, they do or not, it's, it's a really strong feeling. And, and um, yeah, it was really exciting uh, to have that. But it was also really challenging because it was such a personal record. And a lot of people knew that my mom had died. And um, it was obviously the first time I had toured on a record like that. And I had so many kids, so many young kids and adults share with me about how their parents had died or um, how their their mom currently had cancer and was going through chemo or uh, all these stories that, you know, because I feel like these people, they think, you know, they feel like they've, they've shared, you've shared something with them and they want to share part of themselves with you. And I, I saw it on a lot on the Mitski tour, on all the tours that I went to of just people lining up to, to share these really weighty stories of, of just how your music resonated with them or, or Mitski's music resonated with them or Porch's music resonated with them. Um, and that was a really intense feeling. And I think that, you know, because I spent the last year touring on Psychopomp, a lot of soft sounds is kind of about being on the road. And, and just, um, I think it's about uh, what life was like on the road. It was about being away from my partner. It was about, trying to be a woman of regimen and, and feeling guilty about not, you know, being around and having a family. Um, and it was also about just these people like sharing their similar experiences with grief and death and illness and kind of trying to take that and, and create a sort of like understanding for myself that this, this terrible thing that happened to me, uh, is, is not something that has only happened to me. Um, and kind of deciding uh, how do I let this very unfair feeling part of my life um, not dictate what type of person I am. And, and um, I don't want to be a, a cruel person or a stunted person because this thing happened. And how do I channel this into 
something productive and something good and how do I share that with other people who have also endured the kinds of things that I have endured um, so that they can kind of try to channel those feelings as, as well. It's a very proactive thought to have because it's, I mean, like hearing you say it that way, the way you just did now, I mean, I feel like that's something so many people would like, just the, the, the initiative to have that thought, I think is something very special. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a very common thing is that a lot of the times in a household, um, if a parent dies or a loved one dies, there's one party that kind of um, spirals a little bit negatively and then the other person feels like they have to kind of pick up for that uh, as a caretaker for that person, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I felt very much that way with my father who did not take, you know, obviously neither one of us took my mother's death very well, but I felt like he was a lot more lost than I was. And I feel like I needed to be a little bit more proactive for the both of us to, to make it for us to make it through. Um, so I feel like I had this pressure to, to be a little bit more grounded, um, in my emotions, uh, to be a sort of support system for, for the both of us. Um, yeah, you know, I want to step aside, I want to step aside for a second and say, and I'm not just saying this, I just feel it's important that like, you know, I I know talking about your mother must not be an easy thing whatsoever, but I do think it is important. It is very beautiful that you find the bill, you find it possible to be candid about these types of things and open. Cause I mean, and I'm not just saying that because I think what's very important is that us as people, I think there's so many things we can relate to and experiences naturally, of course. But I think a very big thing about um, just the human experience is that sometimes it can feel very lonely in the sense that other people are going through similar things as us, but we can't even comprehend that they are. So I think the mm-hmm. fact that you find yourself able to talk about these things is very important and I respect it. So thank you, honestly. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very appreciated. Um, you know, like, um, something that really intrigued me with how much you toured for Psycho was I actually did remember reading. It's funny how these things kind of stick in your head. I remember reading mm-hmm. you saying something along the lines of, like, how you were enjoying touring for Psycho, but you didn't think, you couldn't see yourself touring it for super long. I imagine this is probably in the middle of it. And you end up touring Psycho, like, a lot. And now you're touring <laughs> for Soft Sounds, and you've already toured for it quite loads, but... Uh, like what's ahead is clearly like quite massive. Like what do you feel it is about touring this time around that feels different pre Japanese breakfast? I mean, you did touch upon the audiences and how they react to feeling like they know you, but I wonder if it's like anything else and how you feel as a person and a performer. Um, I mean, I think it's, well, this was our first headlining tour, so it feels quite different. Um, than when, when we toured as a headliner, I mean, as a as direct support, because that's, they're your people, you know, um, and it's really exciting because you can play the quiet songs and not feel like people are waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? um, so yeah, I think it's just like, it's, it's, it's less of like, kind of like a talent show and more of just like sitting with friends, you know, it's like, I think that when you're playing a support, it's kind of like, you're trying to... Yeah, it's kind of like you're trying to showcase what you have to offer as well, you know, and that that fans of the headliner can can see it, see something in you that they also enjoy and and investigate further. Um, But yeah, when you're a headliner, it's very much like it's your show and you 
you curated the room and the audience and it's really special. I mean, at the Music Hall of Williamsburg show especially, it, it felt so unreal. I mean, it just feels really unreal. I don't know. I, I, I feel so lucky. I feel a little bit less like I'm waiting for a trap door to <laughs> I feel a little bit more of just like, okay, I might have a career. I might stick around for a little bit. So it's really, really, it's really nice. I think I've just gained more confidence as a performer and, and I, it's really nice to look out, um, you know, at, at Music Hall of Williamsburg, at a sold-out crowd, and, um, you know, just our front row is just a large group of young, diverse women, young women, and it feels like, oh my god, I, I mean something to these people, and um, I hope that I inspire them to do something that they feel like they can't do. Um, I don't know, it just feels special. I, I feel really lucky, and my mom, I feel like, would be so proud of me and, and that was another feeling that I had of just like you know being a small from a small college town in Eugene Oregon and playing a sold-out show in New York you know my mom my mom would be doing flips that's amazing and you know I want to say something mm-hmm. that I mean you said something really beautiful there I kind of want to expand on it because you you said how you see people you know a diverse beautiful young women amazing people in the front row and you said that you hope they that you inspire them and i feel what's beautiful about that is like when you break it down you think about it saying that you hope you inspire someone is probably it's quite literally the most least selfish thing you could say in my opinion because what you're actively saying is you're hoping that somebody takes this experience and then does something with themselves with it like someone in their own lives and that's an amazing thing that's a really beautiful thing yeah i think that that is what um makes this job so fulfilling you know I have so many young girls tell me that I'm that they're just are very grateful that I exist and it's very very um I just really appreciate it and and it makes you feel like so worthwhile and and I and I do feel like we do that in some way you know just like I've had so many people come up to me and say that if just I've never seen someone that looks like me do what you do and this thing that always made you feel like different in in a horrible way is is what eventually ends up being being your calling. I think that's amazing. You know, like I have a couple more questions for you, but before I go into those, I, I there like hearing you talk about the musical Williamsburg show just now uh, reminded me of something. Um, I have a friend named Way, a really good friend, and she saw you. Uh, I want to say it was last year. I think it definitely was. It was at um, Shea Stadium in Brooklyn, and. Uh- <laughs> and I remember talking to her the day after, and it kind of this what I'm about to say kind of goes with everything you've said previously. Like, like way, like she's we've talked about, uh, like young white male crowds, predominant young white male crowds. And I remember she went to your show at Shea Stadium, and the day after, I was asking her about it, and she said not only was it like a great show, but what she saw in the audience prior to her going into that venue she didn't even think that was a possibility but then she experienced that and it was very special to yeah. her yeah yeah i think that that's a really exciting thing i was just thinking about it the other day i was like you know i'm so happy that we have really sweet fans <laughs> like, yeah. you know that i feel like no one is doing i hope not anyway as far as i know it's like a very I see a lot of young women talk to each other about like, oh, we should have like some kind of meetup group because there's so many, yeah, just like with young women of color that come to our shows and feel like a camaraderie with one another and feel like they're sharing something. And and I feel like a lot of that came from our, our tour with Mitski too. It's like 
I, I never saw that before. Um, I went on that tour and it felt like something that she curated and uh, it was really beautiful. And, and yeah, I can't imagine having that when I was young and it really excites me to, to see what that means for the future. That's really massive. You know, in a few weeks time, you have a massive tour of Asia and Australia coming up. Um, I'm familiar with touring in general and how acts tend to tour Asia. And this is definitely, like, when I saw the poster, I was like, wow, this is definitely one of the longest Asian tours I've seen plotted out in a while. Um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, well, going into that, like, how does it feel knowing that's on the horizon? I'm clearly excited, but, like, how not only about the tour, but how do you feel knowing you'll be in that part of the world for quite a while? Because that is something really special. Um, I think that my stomach is going to be really happy because <laughs> I just, the worst part of touring is it's really hard to eat Asian food. And it's just like, you know, when you grow up eating a certain way, it's really, diff you know, just never feels like settled if you aren't eating that way. So yeah. I just always am trying to eat Asian food and <laughs> <laughs> it'll be nice to not have to like really have to seek it out. Cause a lot of times like when you're in the middle of the country, it's like very difficult to find. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I was really excited to go to the US tour. I'm really excited to go to Europe and I've never been to Australia. So I'm excited, but I think that there's something really special about Asia and I'm really, really curious because I don't know many people that have gone either. Like I have many friends that have done Europe, but I, I don't have, many friends at all who who have done Asia and um so yeah I'm really curious to see how it goes I hope it goes well because I'd love to do it all the time if I can um and it's going to be a crazy thing for me to play in Korea because uh I still have family there and they're very confused about how I make money and what, what I do <laughs> so when I was trying to explain to my aunt she was like so what company pays you <laughs> and I was like trying to explain to her there's like no company that <laughs> you know you, there's like a series of shows that you play so they're coming to our Korea show and I hope that it's good because I would really like for it to be a good show so she can understand that it's a real job yeah um and I'm also really excited because uh you know I I was born in Korea and I, I grew up going there every other year and um it feels very much like a second home to me and, and I'm excited to go back uh and I also just am I'm curious how an Asian audience responds to an Asian American performer and what that's like. And um, I'm actually going to stay in Korea for a month and a half for like the first time off that I'll have pretty much this entire year. So, wow, that's um, amazing. I really want to <clears throat> eat a lot of food and spend <laughs> time with my family and, and take some Korean language lessons and uh, do some writing over there. So I'm, I'm just really, really excited. <laughs> wow. I wonder what it's going to be like. I mean, not to like put a, a downer on the whole thing, of course, but I, I'm so curious what it's going to be like, like when you come back. Cause I imagine just ex experience like that <laughs> can only make you feel inspired. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I hope that we get to go every year because it would, you know, I could spend, I spent so much time in Asia and it's just like, it's just such a special place for me um, to not feel like, I don't know, it's tough because I'm half Asian. So, I, you know, I, we don't really feel like we belong anywhere. But um, it's nice to not, I don't know, there's some, some mysterious feeling that you belong a little bit uh, in Asia, even though you're not really from there. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to spend a lot of time there. I'm really looking forward to it. 
That's going to be fantastic. Uh, before I let you go, I just have one more question. But Michelle, thanks for taking the time to chat today. It's really fantastic. Finally, it's actually quite a trippy thing, getting to talk to someone that you listen to quite a lot on record already. <laughs> it's like a really trippy thing. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. No, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, you're in Philadelphia. You know, I love Philly. And um, I find the pace there to be really something else. I have friends around Fishtown that I stay with whenever I go. And yeah, I lived there for the last um, four years. I just moved to... It got so expensive. Yeah, so, I've heard. Uh, I moved to, to Washington Square, which is funny because it's kind of like a fancier neighborhood, but our <laughs> rent is much the same now. Oh, wow. So. Well, I wonder, like, what's it been like to live there after all this? Because we touched on it, like, quite a bit throughout this talk. Like, you were born in Korea. You've lived on the West Coast. I'm pretty sure you lived a bit in Brooklyn when you were doing the recording, going up to Crown Heights for Psychopomp, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I did, yeah. I lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, wow. And now you're in Philly, like, because I imagine after touring, it becomes so much more important that wherever you return to after a tour is a place you want to be at. Like, does it feel that way for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm hardly ever here. And at this point, it's like my friend group has really transitioned from being in the city that I live in to being other musicians on the road. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, honestly, I... There are things that I really love about Philadelphia, um, but I, I mostly just like spend my time at my in, indoors, you know. So I, I, <laughs> I really in, enjoy like my my home, and I feel like you know at this point I have five days off before we leave for Europe, so I probably just won't leave my apartment. At all. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think that my I you know when I really loved Philly, um, and I still love it. I think that I. I just don't really spend enough time here anymore to 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 go on about it. But when I first moved to Philly, it was like the first big city that I lived in, and I love I love the people a lot, and I love I love that it's a city that's a it's affordable for artists to live in, um, and it has a very like kind of rough and tumble sort of um, personality. I think you know it's like the scruffy older brother of like New York in a way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love, I love, I love that it's a very diverse city, and um, yeah, there's a great, great music community that lives here. Yeah, that's very true. And you know, just to, like cap off on what you said there at the tail end. I mean, like, like you know, you, where you you are has to be somewhere you feel comfortable with. That's a very like underrated feeling. I feel like, like I mean, I think it's something that people find themselves stumbling in rather than like plotting out. When and then they realize like, oh wait, like. Where I'm going to be should be comfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time. It's very fantastic thank we have to chat today. Honestly. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, for people listening who might be unfamiliar with Japanese breakfast, I don't know why you wouldn't be. Um, literally jump in and listen to them to her because your music's fucking fantastic. So, Michelle, again, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I just couldn't see it. Heart burning hot enough for the both of us. I never realized how much you were holding back. All the times I felt so plugged in, 